Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, give us understanding, and Lord, apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher this morning. And Lord, that you might stir our hearts to lift our eyes and see the opportunities that are all around us all the time. And stop just praying for the lost world and pray for our lost friends, our lost loved ones, and then be sensitive to opportunities when you open doors and be ready always to give an answer to those that ask of the hope that lie within us, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray that we'd never become a fishing club, but would be a church full of those that fish for the souls of men, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. John MacArthur said, the work of evangelism, of spiritual life-saving is the purest, truest, noblest and most essential work of the church, the most that the church will ever do. The work of fishing men and women out of the sea of sin, the work of rescuing people from the breakers of hell is the greatest work the church is called to do. In the Old Testament, the writer of Proverbs reminded Israel that he who is wise wins souls, Proverbs 11.30. In Daniel 12.3, the Lord told Daniel, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Evangelism was the great concern of the New Testament. And it's been the heartbeat of faithful Christians throughout the history of the church. John Knox pleaded with God, give me Scotland or I die. John Wesley considered the whole world his parish. Evangelism is the primary thrust of the Great Commission. Go th therefore and make disciples of all the nations. To make disciples is to evangelize, to bring men and women under the saviorhood and lordship of Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls disciples to himself, he also called them to call others. David Graef is always reminding us that we are to be disciplers, that disciple people to be disciple makers. And my fear is, and I think it's a real challenge, churches that begin well, they say that more people get saved through church plants than through established churches. Why? Because we get comfortable. Because when the church is small and you have people that have just come to Christ, they're so excited about what they've found. And so they reach out and they think God can do anything. And then pretty soon the church grows and we get more things and we become a fishing club. In the fishing club, what we do is we just gather together and we talk about fishing. And we get experts, we send them off to fishing school, seminary, and not many of the professors there are, are fishermen either, but they like to talk about it. And frankly, they couldn't survive if there wasn't somebody fishing somewhere. I told you a couple of weeks ago that Al Moeller said that in the Southern Baptist Convention... 
The only people they're baptizing for the most part are people that have grown up in church. That's a problem. I'm so glad we don't have a church like that. Most of you in this room were people that were lost and a loved one or a friend reached out to you and you came to know Christ. But when a church turns inward and they start, stop being concerned about lost people, church problems, and pretty soon we don't have problems. So instead of going back to focusing on the lost, we just want to become more vanilla so people don't get upset. We're so concerned the world will like us. And there's whole churches and whole denominations that are so worried about the style of their church, they forget about the gospel. Several years ago, and I've told you this before, we had a Southern Baptist Evangelism Conference here. And a fellow from North American Mission Board was here in his Nike turtleneck. And one of the first things he said, we had a brand, the first year we had our building, we were in this building. And he said, in Georgia, we don't build buildings like this anymore. Well, it was 20 below zero outside. I don't know if you happen to notice, but we're not in Georgia. And we build it for you. We did what God told us to do. We want everybody to know when they drive by, there's a church there and there's a cross on the steeple. And I hope that never becomes just a symbol of Christianity for us, but it is the message that we share and that we desire to share every day. I think that there are problems when you have new membership classes that we stop short and so we just have our new membership classes so people know how to fit in to our church. New membership classes ought to be about the challenge about who the church is and that we never lose, never lose that desire to see other people come to Christ. We never get to the place where our faith is not supernatural. There are so many people growing up in good Bible-teaching churches. John MacArthur says 90 95% of people in the American church never see anybody come to Christ because of their influence. That's astounding to me. And it's not that I'm trying to make you feel bad if you haven't had that experience. I want you to know what you're missing out on. To see the amazing power of God bring somebody from darkness to light. It's the whole reason God saved you in the first place and gifted you with your giftedness and placed you where he placed you so you can be a light so other people can come to know Jesus Christ. And yet the world has its influence, doesn't it? Romans 12, 2 says, don't let the world push you into its mold. Today we have political correctness. And political correctness has gone so far that if you talk to people about their sin and they're offended, well, you're, you're, you're doing hate speech. Oh, Satan loves that. He loves that. Can you imagine being a doctor? People come in to your practice and you know how to help them, but you say, well, I don't want to offend you. So let me just give you these sugar pills and send you home, say you're fine, and you die of cancer. He said, that's a wicked doctor. Right? You see, part of the gospel is people are lost in their sin. And there's only one remedy, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that you have this treasure in earthen vessels if you know Jesus Christ. And you look at yourself and you say, but I'm not able, like the pastor, like the elders, like those young people who have gone through the West, and so I don't have that kind of ability. You know your own story. And the Bible says, study so that you might be equipped to be a faithful workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. I had such a good time reading several times a message by Charles Spurgeon this week. How to make fishers of men. And he started with his congregation in the 1800s saying, I trust you're here because you want to be used of God. You want to be useful to God. And if that's not a priority for you, for that God to use you, like my son Sam says all the time, I give you permission to doubt your own salvation. Because the life in Christ that we get when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is a life that just desires to please God. Many times we start, when I'm discipling somebody, they've just come to Christ, we either start Romans or what I like to start is in 1 John. Because in 1 John you see the marks of the believer, not things that tell them to do now that they're a believer, but things that they are already discovering now that they've come to Christ. Those marks of the spiritual DNA. And you know the first one is? Those things that we have heard and seen and handled of the word of life, those things we want to share with you. 30 years ago, we saw a harvest that was just amazing. I've told you before, I, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home where the focus and the joy, the great joy of life was when other people came to Christ. And we would have prayer time. We'd kneel down at our couch. And my mom would weep as she prayed for lost relatives and lost people. And we'd have missionaries in. And they'd, they'd have those pictures of this guy used to be a cannibal and now he's a pastor, right? This guy was a murderer and now he's a pastor. We'd have evangelists come in. And they'd tell the stories of how they saw people that it looked like there was no hope for their life, and now they are serving God as a missionary. We have a supernatural faith. We have a supernatural gospel. And yet we are so ashamed we might offend someone. Mostly what keeps us is we're ashamed they won't like us. And we like to be liked, and we hate to be hated, and at least we like to be appreciated. And so we have this vanilla Christianity that just goes and says, oh, I go over there to church. I found groups of Christians that would say their doctrine is serious, and that's what's most important. You know, their fishing doctrine is very serious. They would fight with you, whether Arminian or more Calvinistic, and yet they don't share. Why? Somehow, they've just come to the place, either they think that's for the professionals only the professionals that have that kind of joy. Only they can handle that kind of joy, seeing people come to Christ. Or they just don't think the gospel is really supernatural. But they'll fight with you over their take of doctrine and sociology. I've seen people that are Arminian, and they would fight with you about God's sovereignty and 
and what God means by predestination, because that word's in the Bible. But they don't witness, so practically they're hyper-Calvinists. And Calvinists that would talk to you about the sovereignty of God, but they never take that amazing power and just share it. Jesus said, it's like seed. It's really powerful seed. Just get it out there. What can we do? Well, it's not so much what you can do for God, but what God does for his children. Jesus said to these fishermen, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. What did they do? Immediately, they left their nets. And James and John left their father. Why? Because they found something different. And, you know, if you just read this. Now, listen, Matthew is talking about what happened there, just what happened in his town, Capernaum. Later, we're going to see where he's sitting at his tax table, and then he just gets up and leaves. Well, they had knowledge already of God. We saw that in John 1. That's where Jesus was first pointed out by John the Baptist to John and Andrew, and they went and found their brothers, and then they went and found Philip, and then Philip, Jesus went to find Philip, and then Philip found Nathaniel. And then they, they did some ministry together. We found the Messiah. And so they said, oh, well, where are you staying? So they stayed with him. And then they got their brothers. And then they went with him and they saw the first miracle of Canaan and Galilee. And they saw him teach. They saw the nobleman's son healed. And then they went back to fishing. It wasn't that they were just, you know, being disloyal to the Lord. It was just things were going on. But they knew who Jesus was. They knew they'd found the Messiah. So when he came by this time, they followed him. Now, most commentators, John MacArthur, other people we trust, say that there's all these different places, and this is different than Luke 5 where they leave everything. But when they leave everything, it's not just they were little robots. God showed up and went, okay, we'll follow you, right? The work had already been done in their life. They'd found something better than fishing they believed there was something supernatural about the messiah in luke chapter 5 he comes by and they're cleaning their nets and getting ready uh peter and andrew they're throwing their nets they're casting from shore and and james and, and john with their father they're mending the nets and jesus says hey would you just, there's a place there doug bookman shows us that if you just get out in the water a little bit the land becomes an amphitheater and you can actually hear better from the water. All the people in the, the hill surrounding the area can hear us. There's a lot of people. He says, well, just push me out a little bit. Let me teach. And so he teaches sitting from the boat. Then when he's done, he tells Peter, Peter, just let's push out on the deep and put our nets down. He said, Lord, we've, we've been fishing all night. I mean, you're the Lord and, and you know teaching the Bible, but we know fishing. But nevertheless... We'll do as you say. I think he was going to show, look, Lord, we're going to do it. It's not going to make any difference. Isn't that the way we go with the gospel sometime? Listen, they're so hard. They're so full of themselves. They're so lost. They're so full of whatever that they're, it's not going to do any good anyway, Lord, but okay, Lord. And you know God is telling you to go. You know God told you to give them a call and say, it's not going to do any good, but I'll call them. Maybe you don't verbalize it that way, but that's what's going on in your heart. They put down their nets. And they get a catch that they can't, they can't even, it's breaking the net. 
So they call for their friends and they bring their boats over. And there's so many fish, they put them in the boat, it starts to sink. All of a sudden, Peter realizes this is a God thing. He falls down on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. You can't use me for this. Liam Bounds' book, I'll repeat this a lot because I want you to hear this on the pastor in prayer. He said, men delight in a program. God loves to use a man. I don't know why God, he could use angels. Angels don't mess up. But he has given this amazing opportunity to be the ones that get to see God do these amazing things and bring people from darkness to light. He gave that to us. And in school, and on your teams, and on your jobs, you look at those people and say, well, they're not interested. They've told me, never share Jesus with me again. And you think Jesus is intimidated by that? There's some guys in heaven that were so demon-possessed and so filled with demons, nobody wanted to go by the graveyard because that's where they lived. And Jesus came and changed them. The woman at the well was just in a downward spiral. She'd had five husbands, five. And she decided to give up on marriage. The guy she was living with was not her husband, and, uh, but she had a religion. And maybe the people of the day would have said, well, what are you talking to her for, Lord? She's not even our kind, you know, she's Samaritan. And she becomes an evangelist. God changes her heart. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What we can do, first of all, if you want to become a fisher of men, if that's what's in your heart, it should be if you're a believer. I would like to be able to see come to Christ, but I'm looking at me and thinking, well, that can't happen because I'm me. You're you filled with the Holy Spirit. You're you, if you're a believer, you're born again this morning, that possess the Holy Spirit. And you have the powerful word of God. And you have your experience as a believer, how God worked in your life. And don't discount that. What can you do? First of all, separate into Christ. Now, we have a word that we all run in fear of, legalism. Somebody just, oh, I think you're being legalistic about that. Whoa, I'm not legalistic. Forget about weak, emaciated Christians that want to call you legalistic. Who cares about them? You separate into Christ. What does that mean? You walk with the Lord. He will separate you unto his desires. But walking with the Lord will change the what you do what you want to read, what you want to think about, the way you look, it changes everything about your life. Why? He desires for you more than you desire to make you a fisher of men. Separate unto Christ. In Charles Spurgeon's day, he said, things are so dark. This is in the 1800s. And the pressure of the world is so great today, they don't want you to say anything that would make them uncomfortable, and then you go and bring up the gospel. It's the only thing that'll save them. You don't not love them because of their sin. You love them like Jesus does in spite of their sin, but you don't say it's okay. 
tell them Jesus loves them anyway, right where they're at, right how they are. But he's not going to leave them like that. And he wants you to be like him. In order to do that, you have to be separated to him. Someone might say, oh, you want to be a fisherman? Why don't you take this course? No, no, follow Christ. Oh, maybe you should go to seminary. Yes, go to seminary, but follow Christ. Get training, but more than that, spend time with Jesus. Later, when they meet these fellows, when Jesus has gone back to heaven, and all of a sudden Peter and John and James and these guys who were just fishermen, common men, just didn't pick one from the leadership of the, of, of the, of the synagogue, except for later the apostle Paul, one born out of due time. And he was a terrorist of the church before he got saved. And one thing they said about him when they defended, when they shared the gospel, you know, these men have been with Jesus. We need to abide with Christ. These left to live with him for a while. Even after that supernatural catch of fish, they could have said, wow, this is a pretty good deal. If we just keep doing what Jesus says, he'll tell us where to fish. We can get wealthy. No, no. That wasn't the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle was he's in charge of the harvest. If we follow him, we could see what he's seeing also. Abide with him. Thirdly, obey Christ. It's not up to you to save people. It's not up to us to change the message so it's more comfortable to the lost people. It's not the gospel if you change it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He died on the cross for our sins. He took the wrath of God upon him. He took our place. Every individual in the whole world is guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing way that Peter puts it when he's preaching and they're having the great harvest of souls. He said, by God's predetermined plan, you wicked men with wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory. God's plan using wicked men to hang Jesus on the cross and then on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God, not the wrath of the devil. The devil wanted to do everything he could to keep him from the cross. Took the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God. And before he dismissed his spirit, he said, it is finished. He finished the work on the cross for the loss, for the sin of your lost friend. They need to know that. Don't change the message. If you do, it's not dynamite anymore. Don't change the name. So, well, we disassociate from the Old Testament. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if we believe in a six-day creation. It does to me. If you take away from the scripture, you're, are you God that you decide what's true and not, not true? God uses the, the first action of creation as an illustration of salvation. If it didn't happen, then how do you know that happened? Well, you know, let's unhook. It doesn't matter if there's a worldwide flood. The Bible says it does. It doesn't matter if God has chosen Israel. It does. Because if God doesn't keep his promises to Israel, how do you know he's going to keep his promises to you? 
we sang that song, he has saved his favorite nation. Say, who is he talking about? He's talking about you. He's going to make one nation from all the tribes and peoples of the earth. One nation. But he promised he'd save the nation of Israel. Don't change it. Just obey him. Follow him and obey him. It's simple, not easy, because sometimes he's going to tell you to do things, to speak to people, to go places, that you say, well, that might cost me. It might. It might cost you everything. The Bible says it's worth it. It's worth it because he is worth it. And fifthly, imitate his holiness. What did Jesus do? Well, see, you have to know what Jesus did in order to imitate what Jesus did. I believe it's good. I'm working on it still myself. God didn't give us the life of Christ, did he? You have to look at all the different gospels and try to work that out. The Bible says in the Old Testament in in Solomon's wisdom of Proverbs says, the wise man digs down, he finds that treasure. And part of that treasure is in your own mind, beginning to understand the life of Christ. It helps taking a trip to Israel. Helps me to take more than one trip to Israel because I need more to get it through. But in your own mind to work out what was it like? What was, what was Jesus? Where did he go? When did he go here? What did he say? The wisdom of Christ is without depth. And just when the, the Pharisees, they, they get together, they're lawyers, right? The scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all hate each other, but they love to get together about Jesus. And they think, oh, now we've got him. John 8, they bring the woman taken in adultery. What's he going to say? If he says, you should stone him, he's going against Rome. And he says, don't stone her. Then he's going against the law. And Jesus in his wisdom. Tradition says he gets down and he draws in the dirt out the law. He says, you that have no sin, cast the first stone. Oh, that's good. Well, should we pay the temple tax? Hey, give me a coin. They give him a coin. Whose face is on the coin? Oh, that's Caesar. Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what... Oh, and we just go, oh, that's so good. You want that kind of wisdom? It is available for you. You have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have the same spirit that he operated in. And you have the word of God. But you can't imitate him if you don't know him, if you don't spend time in his word. What does the Lord do? See, he makes us follow him in the first place. And he's the one that makes us fishers of men. It's not about just taking a class. It's about walking with him. But Psalm 37, 4 says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And he desires your worship to increase. He desires you to walk in joy. You know what? The greatest joy is, the greatest worship is going to happen when your friend comes to know Jesus Christ, when your husband comes to know Jesus Christ, when your lost child comes to know Jesus Christ. So I just don't think it's possible. They're so opposed. Know this, remember this, Jesus is not intimidated. Remember your own salvation. Especially if you're an adult, the Lord just turned the light on you and went, oh, I believe that. Who did that? You didn't do that. You were lost. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
the Lord Jesus reached down and he touched your life. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. God did that. And God's the one that wants to stir us up to be a whole congregation of those that believe that God can use the gospel to win your friends to him. The people that work with you. When he changes us, when we begin to follow, when we really want to imitate him, we get to know him and live with him, God begins to stir up that desire. And it starts with, I don't know if I can, but I would sure like to see my friend get saved. What do you do? You start praying for them. Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know what to say. Went in my barber one day. Not my present barber, because he's a believer, but um, my old barber, when my boys were real little and they weren't cutting hair yet, and I thought, today's the day. I'm going to share with my friend Johnny today. I'm going to share with him today. And again, then the first thing comes out of his mouth is, you know, Paul, there's some people in here from Wheatland that came over, these girls, because he did good haircuts, so girls went to him too, and, and uh, maybe he was a stylist. Anyway, and they just tried to shove Jesus down my throat. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I, what am I going to say today? But it was clear in my mind that the Lord had told me today, you're going to share with Johnny. I don't know what God had done. His, his wife had passed away. I said, Lord, you've got to tell me something here. You've got to give me some words because I don't know what to say. It seems like these people, well-intentioned, shut the door. And then God gave me one statement. I just said, well, the thing is, Johnny, people may not do it right, but they just care about you. They just want to make sure that when you die, you're going to be in heaven too. Ah, you're probably right. And we talked about the Lord. That wasn't from Pablo. I didn't think that up. I was without words. And so many times, you know the door's open. And you say, but Lord, I don't. all of a sudden, something happens. You go, oh, no, nah, I can't talk, right? I'll just, I'll just chase him away. No, no. You trust the Lord for supernatural words, for the wisdom. Because you know God's telling you what to do. When he makes you, what is the character of a fisherman? Fisherman is somebody who is very dependent and needs to be trustful. He's very dependent on the Lord because we can't see where the fish is. We don't know what the opportunities are. And this is where the argument comes in. Those that are hyper-Calvinistic, you know, anybody right of you, uh, they would say, well, God's going to save who's going to get saved, and so I really don't want to mess that up. I might tell somebody God loves him, and he really doesn't. No, listen. Let me just relieve you of that burden if you're in that case today. Everybody that lives and breathes on this earth is experiencing a measure of God's love in the life that they have. And our God is sovereign. John Piper says it this way. Our God is sovereign, and, and he's not a God that just wrote it on stone and then went away like some that deistic thought. No, our God is sovereign. He's ruling today, and he puts people on your heart for you to be a part of what God's going to do. It may be 20 years. My wife prayed for her dad for 20 years before he got saved. And then he got saved. He got saved. My dad led my father out of the Lord, but my wife was part of the harvest. Because she's the one that prayed for her daddy for 20 years. He'd had a foxhole decision. He'd been in two wars, World War II and Korea. And, you know, he knew the answers. 
he grew up in the South enough to, to know what the gospel was. But God's in charge of the harvest. He knows where to send us. And when we get there, he knows to tell us. So sometimes we just need to know what to say. Secondly, a fisherman who gets his living by it is diligent and a persevering man. He's tough, tough hide, tender heart, but he's persevering. You don't give up on praying for your friends. And you, you're always looking for those opportunities. Thirdly, a fisherman in his own craft is intelligent and watchful. Watchful, all of our wits and more than our own wits, we are able to be successful fishers of men. We're always looking for those opportunities. I don't know about you, but when I go visit a city someplace, and, and I see what God did here, and I, I'm just amazed at the fishing hole that Laramie is. It's an amazing. Some people say, oh, it's hard there. No, it's not. There are people that are needy here. They're hungry. They don't know what they're hungry for, but they are hungry. And so when I go to other city, maybe I'm visiting uh, relatives or go to a new place and I just look around and I think, well, how did I fish here? I know what God led me to do here. I had a heart for the campus, but I didn't know how to get into the campus and then God brought the campus to us. And then later I begin to think, hmm, well, okay, we're seeing college kids get saved and they're from all over the place, but how do we win Laramie to the Lord? What can you do, Paul? Well, some of the guys that got saved were Laramie High School grads. We could just go work in the weight room maybe. Yep, got an opportunity to work in the weight room and coach football for 10 or 11 years. That wasn't about football, guys. One of my fellow coaches said, you know, I could just sit down and diagram plays all day. I'm like, ah, no, do not like football that much. Football was just something I can do. God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? Don't discount even the discouraging background you had. Yesterday, Chris and I were going through the line at Walmart. And the lady just, Dutch, she says, oh, people come to this line. And one time I just had to go home. I, I, it bothered me for weeks that a family came through and they had a whole bunch of kids and the kids were crying and they had a whole cart full of liquor and no milk. And it hurt her because that's the way she grew up. She said, I see pictures of myself and I was just like this big around. She said, no, I'm huge. She wasn't huge. But her heart is sensitive to people that are hurting like that because she knows what it's like to grow up in a home like that. We are surrounded by hurting people. And you think, well, I don't have that kind of power. You have your experience. God gave you on purpose. Even those things you want to forget, God can use for his glory. You're talking to somebody and they say, well... You're different from me. Oh, let me share you my story with you. The fisherman's daring. He's willing to take chances. And a fisherman catches fish. How much would you call a guy a fisherman if he never caught any fish? We have a whole polemic today. Well, you know, that's, I'm just not gifted that way. There is no gift of evangelism. There's only the opportunity and the message. Now, somebody is more, we would say somebody's more gifted because they have more harvest. Maybe it's because they fish more. Fisherman doesn't give up because 
He's in a hole and he knows there's fish that are not biting. What does he do? He changes the bait. Didn't change the message. He's still fishing. We wouldn't call a farmer much of a farmer if he never grew anything. If all he did was tell other students in a university how to do it. He'd be a professor, not a farmer. He's successful. And the last thing this morning, fishermen love to fish. They love to fish. I have a cousin, David John. That guy loves to fish. Any place he goes, he's going to learn how to fish that place. One little hole up by, by our lodge, one little place in that little creek, he caught, I think, three or four different types of trout. Same hole. Comes a man, you can't believe what I caught today, right? My son Ben was about eight. My father-in-law was still alive. We went out to, to Granite. One of those days, like, well, it wasn't quite this cold today, but it's one of those days that go either way, right? So we got out to Granite. He said, let's go do some fishing. Well, that went great until it started slushing, you know, that stuff that comes out of the sky that's not quite rain or snow. And we all got in the truck, but Ben still wanted to fish. It was getting cold out there. You know, he didn't have much of a jacket on. Pretty soon, here he comes, and Harry says, oh, yeah, he's done. He comes in, he says, lost my hook. I need something effort. Got to get something different. It's not working. That's a fisherman. Why? Because there's a hope of harvest. But with us as believers, because you get to see God do something, a miracle. Jesus said, if you preach the gospel, miracles will follow. And the greatest miracle is to see somebody come from darkness to light. Oh, God, give us a heart for the lost Give us a desire that we might be fruitful. Much fruit. Each one. Or give us a heart that's not satisfied to just show up week by week and have our, our friends be lost. Give us a spirit of, of prayer for preparation and a spirit to know you that you can guide us and show us where you want to do a harvest. And the Lord will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.